He's in the waiting by Corey Patrick White. For examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. James 5.10 I've always struggled with patience and I've always struggled with gratitude. It's an on-demand world and I'm an on-demand boy. I want a challenge to be manageable. I want my climb, whether physical, professional, or social, to be full of leisure and without obstacle. And I want the ascent to be rapid. If I write a book, it is to be a bestseller. If I post a blog, it is to go viral. If I give a speech, I am to receive a standing ovation. On the day I joined my high school football team, I expected to be handed the starting quarterback nod. No matter that I had never played a down of organized football, the job was going to be mine, in spite of a lack of any discernible athletic talent nor gridiron experience. I want the glory of accomplishment without the punishment of exertion. I have the expectation of high reward coupled with the desire for minimal effort. This, of course, has led me to feel much unnecessary disappointment. It has also led me to diminish the amazing personal gifts I have been given by the Creator. My three and a half decades on this earth have been predominantly free of misfortune. I've been blessed with good health, financial stability, a multitude of friends to enjoy, a family that would run through walls for me, and if I may say so, a pretty good head of hair. Yet I often find myself in deep despair, lamenting something I haven't yet achieved or some desire that has not yet been met. Instead of looking forward at the blessings that are awaiting me down the road of life, I pivot my head behind me to look back at some past indiscretion or mistake or jealously, my eyes wander toward my peers who might have a loftier job title, fancier automobile, or bigger paycheck. Instead of praise, I send forth pain. Instead of gratitude, I cry out and greed. Instead of patiently waiting for God's unfolding plan, I curse the measured speed of his works. I want it now and I will not wait. There is someone out there who is teaching me, whether he knows it or not, to see the fallacy in this way of thinking. His name is Perry Lott, and he spent over 30 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. I'm not hateful, I'm grateful. Perry Lott. One of the first things you notice about Perry Lott is his broad smile. The smile is accentuated by a gold tooth that he received courtesy of an accident he suffered during his childhood in Racine, Wisconsin. His smile is framed by a mustache that water falls from his nostrils and down his chin. Perry is tall and rail thin. He moves slowly and with a cane. This is due, Perry says, to an almost paralyzing staph infection he received during his over three decades stay in the care of the Oklahoma Department of Corrections. I was introduced to Perry at a birthday party for a friend. When I heard the words, imprisoned for over 30 years for a crime he didn't commit, this immediately piqued my interest. As a recovering journalist, I'm pretty apt at recognizing a good story when one is presented to me. That, to be frank, is the original reason why my relationship with Perry extended past a casual introduction at a birthday party. Although I'm now a bit embarrassed to admit it, my initial reasons for maintaining a relationship with Perry were selfish. I wanted to chronicle his story. 
For this reason, I began navigating my sedan south weekly from the safety of my suburban home in Edmond to Perry's domicile resting under the shade of the Devon Tower. My plan was to make a podcast because what the world really needs is another podcast. Over the course of a few lengthy sessions, I interviewed Perry and learned his history. I learned about his enormous family and his siblings, who number over a dozen. I learned about his hardworking and devout parents. I learned about his childhood in Wisconsin. Perry told me of his struggles as a young man and the regrets he now has of being an absent father. He told me of the untimely death of his mother when he was 18, which helped lead him to some poor decisions he made early in his life, including his first incarceration. Perry introduced me to the reason he initially migrated from Wisconsin to Oklahoma, a former flame named Antoinette, and I met the daughter they share together, Candace, who was still in the womb when Perry would be convicted and sentenced to over 200 years in prison. He described to me in detail his version of the events that unfolded in the winter of 1987 in Ada, Oklahoma. It was then he was charged with rape, robbery, burglary, and making a bomb threat for an attack on a woman in her home in Ada. It was for this crime. He would be convicted for essentially a life sentence. He outlined his three decades life behind bars, his near death from a staph infection, and his never ending quest to clear his name. Perry explained to me the flicker of hope that arrived when the Innocence Project took his case and the ultimate elation he felt upon his release. Finally, he offered me insight into the joys and struggles he's had trying to navigate life as a free man. It was in these interviewing sessions, shadowing Perry inside his church and shuttling him to get supplies at Target that my interest in him grew into something more than journalistic curiosity. I would come to realize that Perry didn't need some third-rate Sarah Koenig, hoping to turn his life story into the next season of Serial. He didn't need some wannabe member of the press, afraid to breach the wall of neutrality that separates reporter and subject in the cause of unbiased journalism. What he needed was a friend, and this was something I could provide. This is something I wanted to provide something much more important than a podcast. So I set aside my initial desire to remain a neutral chronicler of Perry's journey. The wall crumbled and a friendship flourished. Perry has told me that when he left prison under two years ago, he was like a newborn. This seems like a pretty appropriate metaphor. Imagine you fell asleep when Ronald Reagan was president and were suddenly awoken under the administration of Donald Trump. Imagine you left a place where you'd never heard of the internet and you were suddenly thrust into a world of smartphones, email, and cloud computing. You might feel like you're caught in a raging river and you're trying to swim, but it feels like you're drowning. Simple things that we all take for granted, like Google Docs and navigating an email inbox, were foreign to Perry. So too were Wi-Fi and passwords. This is not to say Perry couldn't take care of himself, because he absolutely could, and still can and does. But as we know, the complexity of life has increased exponentially in the last three decades because of technology. When you've been offered no opportunity to keep up with this complexity, you're gonna need some time to adjust. So I could provide Perry some simple instructions and consultation on navigating modern technology. I could help teach him how to share via electronic transit his work in criminal justice reform with his now employer, The Innocence Project. 
I could introduce him to Whataburger and watch him light up as he enjoyed a burger and a strawberry shake. I could challenge him to games of billiards. I could escort him to see Harriet in Avengers Endgame. These things in the end are nothing compared to what Perry has offered me. Perry has this way about him in which he walks into a room and the room brightens. He has this deep, infectious laugh. He loves to laugh and his eyes dance when he does. He rarely misses an opportunity to flirt with a waitress. His television and radio are constantly turned on because he detests silence. Perry thrives around people and finds seclusion unnerving. He loves to talk and will, if allowed, expound endlessly on subjects concerning life and faith. His faith is unshakable, which I'm in awe of considering his journey. I've asked Perry about his faith and if it was shattered due to his over three decades incarceration. Was his absolute belief in God ever upset by his circumstance? Did he feel like God had abandoned him? Perry's response to this question is an unequivocal no. I have no reason to doubt Perry's truthfulness to this inquiry. I often wonder how Perry didn't let hatred consume him. How did his faith not disappear into a deep pit of rage? The years that were taken from him, the relationships that were stolen from him, the memories he never got to share with his young daughter who had only known her father behind prison bars. How did he not look up at the sky, shake his fists and curse the divine? He's a God of hills and valleys, Perry often says. Maybe that sums it up. At a local gathering recently, Perry once told a story of his time in prison. He began to reserve himself to the sad reality that he likely would die behind prison bars. He decided, in spite of this, he would continue to share his wisdom and faith with his fellow inmates. He would promote the gospel in a place that desperately needed it. He would shine light into a dungeon. Around a circle of new friends, he shared this anecdote. With a gleam in his eye and with a broad smile, he finished the story by saying, either God opened my prison door or the devil kicked me out. Either way, I won. Perry's journey has brought him deep insight. It's an insight he is anxious to impart. He's currently using his skills he acquired working on his own case to help other wrongfully incarcerated men and women. He wants to speak. He wants to share. He is a well of wisdom that very few of us possess. This well of wisdom only came through intense struggle. Some good can come from his experience, and Perry is going to make sure that happens because he serves a God of hills and valleys. We want our journeys to be free of pain. This is natural, human, yet pain sharpens us. It molds us into the people we are meant to be. This pain, these struggles can destroy us, yet it can also forge us into weapons for righteousness. When we endure these struggles, when we feel the intense stab of pain, do we not wonder where is God? Do we not wonder why he would allow such things to happen? Do we not feel that we've been abandoned? We want salvation and we want it now. As Perry has tried to teach me, we have not been abandoned. We are not walking through our struggles and pain alone. We must wait for salvation. Salvation, however, will come, and we must endure with joyful hearts because God is a God of hills and valleys. He's right there through all of it.
He's there in the waiting. Perry attends regularly, maybe religiously, a church located in the heart of Oklahoma City. It's in his words mandatory, this church attendance. In this congregation, he has found family, he has found community, he has found a refuge from the desperate loneliness and isolation that is inherent in the act of being locked up for over three decades and then released into a world that you don't recognize. This group of people have welcomed Perry into their parish with open arms. They have offered Perry not judgment, but relentless love, not suspicion nor scorn, but his deserved reclamation. They have offered to Perry their dining rooms for shared meals, their vehicles and themselves for transportation, and their warm bodies for the strong hugs that Perry adores. I would often accompany Perry to the Wednesday night service at this church. There would be Perry at the front of the congregation, his tall, lanky body standing over a wooden pew. His arms outstretched would reach toward the heavens in complete exultation. His head would rock alongside the sound emanating from an acoustic guitar. His voice loudly declared his unyielding affection for his creator and the maker of all things. One Wednesday, I witnessed something that I will never forget. I walked in late to the service. Perry was already in his usual spot at the front of the congregation. Buttressing him were two children. They had their arms wrapped firmly around his lower back, as if Perry wasn't just a stranger or even a friend, but a treasured member of their family. I wiped the tear away falling down my cheek. It was not a tear of sorrow, but a tear of utter joy. In that moment, I understood that Perry no longer had to wait. Perry had spent over 30 years in a place he now refers to as his dungeon. Like Odysseus or Job, the world had put in front of him a journey of suffering. Perry fought and others fought for him. He never gave up on God and God never gave up on him. After all that time, the disappeared years, the physical and mental anguish, the intense pain of incarceration and isolation, I watched the magnificent miracle of two young arms draped around his torso. In that moment, I realized that Perry was finally home. <laughs>